You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. Episode 108, or are we on a different episode? I don't know. Hey, uh, I'm going to keep the intro short. This is uh, episode number 100 and whatever of the motherfucking podcast, the official podcast of the International Power Rock Combo, motherfucking ruckus from Denver and Chicago, respectively. I'm Aaron Howell, and um, we had a bunch of technical difficulties. Gordo had his power go out in his neighborhood, um, and we had some troubles with Skype. Uh, Today on the show, uh, you may recognize this man from uh, the episode he came on with our good pal Jake Fairley. R. Alan Brooks is the creator of the Burning Metronome graphic novel series. He is also the creator of the Anguish Garden, which is a new uh, series that he's been working on that just came out. Uh, he is also uh, the author and co-creator of uh, What I Miss, which is in uh, the Colorado Sun and he's a professor of comics, writing comics at Regis University. He's also the host of the Motherfucker in a Cape podcast, which uh, which I had the fortune to appear on. Um, please welcome to the show uh, our Alan Brooks. I reached out to you. Uh, what a, a week and a half ago, pretty early on, when uh, a lot of the protests started going, because there are parts of the conversation that we had last time that we we barely touched on that have never been more relevant than right now, and uh, so I reached out to you to talk about some of those things, and uh, you right away had some different thoughts about some of the things that were very important to have a conversation about right now, so we got our time cut short a little bit, because I know you've got a hard out at 4.30, so um, I want to jump right in and start talking about this idea that you were talking about of uh, the importance of art in bolstering uh, protest movements and during times of civil unrest. So kind of, kind of tell me what, what was going through your mind when you sent me that message telling me that those were kind of the ideas that you wanted to touch on. Yeah, uh, so I, I think it's important... Uh for, for me, just as an individual, to be clear with myself about how I show up, uh, you know, on shows like this, in this movement, etc. Because I, there are people who are a particular type of activists who are the ones who have, like, the talking points and have really worked on how they present this information. And then there's somebody like me who engages with this, this topic of uh, police brutality and racism and things like that in my art. And uh, so I just wanted... To, to be intentional about how I talk about it, um, and so that you know, I thought about it after you reached out to me, and one of the important things to me was thinking about 
for the people who are not feeling like they're able to be out in front of the Capitol every day, um, what can they do? You know, like, how can they participate besides just sharing memes? Because I do think... uh, Which is also important. Right, yeah. Right, in a sense. Because, you know, like, it does uh, open up people's eyes to that kind of stuff. But I think just by itself, right, it it does fall short. Uh, But I think, you know... There's, there's enough people in this country and clearly in this world who see that there's a problem here and that we all have to kind of come together and figure out what our action is going to be on it. Um, the protests have been very powerful. They've they've obviously accomplished a lot. Unbelievably powerful. Yeah, that hasn't been accomplished in, in centuries. Right, right. And in such a short amount of time, too, which I've found very inspiring in terms of you know, if this is what has been accomplished in a matter of weeks, and and later on in the and episode, I want to share some of you know. There's been a copy and paste thing that's been going around about some of the different things that have been accomplished in such a short amount of time. And immediately, what I start thinking is, what can be accomplished if momentum can be maintained and and people can really keep this going? Right. Right. Yeah, I think that's powerful. I also think uh, protest along with uh, changing legislation and uh, the defund the cop stuff has been really interesting. Um, yeah, and voting. You know, like I know a lot of us have our opinions about wh- how whether our vote actually does anything, but I feel like there are people who do so much to defraud uh, liberal and poor people of the vote. They would not put that much money into it if it didn't have some effect. Right. Uh, and especially for local local government. So, um, yeah, so I'm just looking at like all those things and how, how this energy manifests into other things. It, it's clearly like an unprecedented time in so many ways, you right. know. Uh, so it, it's a weird too because, you know, I feel like talking with my family and um, my other friends who are, who are black, like these, these things have always been around. Uh, these issues, these videos have been around for at least the last 15 years. Right. And kind of wondering why this is the one that really uh, resonated with people. And, you know, I was thinking maybe it's a, it's because we're all home. We have right. more time to deal with ourselves. But also maybe uh, because it was so many back-to-back, because it was Ahmad Arbery, uh, it was the brother in Central Park who was bird watching. It Unbelievable was, uh, story, by the way. Unbelievable right. story. It was Brianna Taylor. It was uh, George Floyd. Like all of these things, you know, like right back to back. And maybe, maybe that's that's what it is taking. But whatever it is that's making it different this time, I'm really happy to see all these people engaging with it. You know. Plus, well, plus you've also got just the general sense of unease and anxiety from people being locked in their homes and that existential dread. And it's like every I, I feel like globally, we as a species, as a civilization are just really kind of fragile and on edge right now. And when something like this happens, especially something that is that is so vivid and so I mean, just broad daylight it, it, like crystal clear and 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 um, 
God, I don't even I don't even know the word to describe the like off the top of my head what what this cop did was just uh, I mean he didn't care that he was being filmed he didn't care yeah. you know uh, blatant and flagrant you know just horrible horrible thing and I think you you mix that together and you just get this perfect storm you know yeah it seems like it uh, John Oliver did this piece uh, on on his show last week tonight last night where he talked about how um, American police were formed in part to catch people who had escaped slavery. Right. And so uh, the way that policing black bodies uh, in a cruel and inhumane way is central to how American police forces were formed. Uh, You know, this isn't like an accidental thing. This isn't a new thing. This is really a century old centuries old thing right and the people the people who are police officers who uh don't indulge in it don't indulge in this degree of violence they they seem to be the exception you know right um well you have there there was um and i'm sorry to interrupt you there but there was there was something that i saw actually like right before we went on i saw you know meme that was going around an infograph that was going on about the history of policing and and you know along with the zeitgeist of people who are trying to educate themselves um you know as the minimal amount of effort which is something that i'm definitely participating in in the in the educational side you're learning about how so many uh police departments were founded, especially in the South, were founded specifically with the express purpose of protecting one class of citizens and and monitoring and regulating and and controlling another, the right. slave population. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's just this weird thing because it's been um, it's been part of what the police force has been from the beginning, right? And um, and so you know, I think much of the way that our country's engaged with these problems has been to think that that is not what police were designed to be and that the people who are violent, excessively violent, they're the anomalies. Right. Uh, but I'm saying that police are trained to be violent. Right. And uh, the, pe- the police who are not violent, they're the ones who stand out. And so um, this... And I think, like, white protesters who are going to protest police brutality and are for the first time getting uh, pepper sprayed and beat up and hit by police cars. Um, I think it really shows how out of control it's all gotten, you know, right. I think it's the first time they've had to really face it, you know, right. Uh, which is tragic, but, uh, but I guess good. And that it seems like much more, many more of us are aware of this problem than were aware of it before what do you think the biggest difference is in terms of the cultural zeitgeist like with 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 terms of george floyd's case specifically being at the very front of the conversation what do you think is the difference that has made the difference aside from some of the other things that we talked about than the 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 case with ferguson because i remember being on my way home from tour and we were listening to information about the Ferguson protests, and we were hearing about it, and we were going, oh, my God, what an awful, horrible thing. Oh, my God, you know, it's, it's so tragic. But it right. didn't really catch fire like this has. 
So besides the things that we talked about, like what do you what do you think is the difference that that has made the difference here? That's the thing. I don't really know. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know why why it's caught fire with white people now. I don't. I really yeah. don't. Because these videos have already existed. This problem has been around for centuries. I'm glad. I'm so glad that it has caught fire. I'm glad that people are taking uh, taking a lot more action. But I don't know what the difference is. If you would have asked me a month ago whether the next uh, murder of a black person by a police officer on video was going to make a difference, I would have said no. Right, because, because it hasn't so far. Yeah, and we have dozens of those. So much so that I've stopped watching them right. because I feel like it destroys my soul. It kills me inside, you right. know? So, um, Especially because, not, I mean, nothing up to this point, I mean, not that nothing has been done, but so little has been done up to this point. It's, I mean, it's got to be maddening to, like, watch that and be like, this one's just going to slip under the radar, too? Okay, you know? Yeah. No, you got it. That's basically it. So, I, you know, I, I, I'm at a, a loss, but again, I'm happy. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I'm happy that people are seeing it and they have the time and energy and passion. And, you know, I think, um, you know, there's this idea that I've just been encountering in, in any activism in the last couple of years that rather than putting it on the oppressed group to fix a problem, it's more incumbent upon the people who are part of the oppressive group. So uh, I say this in a video that I just put out today, but basically... Uh, you and I, as as men, um, if we're trying to figure out how to deconstruct rape culture or sexism, then that work has to uh, take place with other men, because not with men women, are, because it's it's a it's a male problem. It's not a, exactly. it's not a female problem, right? Right. Yeah. So conversely, uh, racism in America is largely a white problem, not exclusively, but definitely largely. And so, uh, yeah, I saw I saw something Banksy posted that 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 touched on that that i really liked is is he he had said something to the degree of you know this isn't something that we need to leave up to black people to solve because this is our problem like we started it we're the ones perpetrating it like we have a responsibility to deal with it and i've observed that people like we've all seen it where people are getting the the receipts posted and being put on blast for their their all lives matter posts but you know right. we saw that stuff come up before in previous cases and it got shot down or it just you know people kind of just like cringed a little bit and went oh god you you know it's so toned deaf you're missing the point but right now people are really jumping on top of that stuff and and quashing it whenever they can yeah. And and that scene, it's been interesting to see the defensiveness get quashed immediately. It's like it's like no, you need to put your fucking shield down and you need to pay attention because this is our problem and this is something that we have to deal with. And that's yeah. been a fascinating thing to observe. Although you know, horrifying watching people tear their their relationships apart with people for sport. It seems, but you know collateral damage i suppose yeah yeah it's definitely a tricky tricky time man yeah uh, um well you know so in, in regards to the whole art thing in the midst of this i was thinking about when uh the 2016 election uh, happened i had to really think to myself is it silly to be making art right now right do i just need to be out in the streets you know shaking things up all the time um protesting 
doing whatever I can. And, um, you know, I struggled with that for a little bit, but then I realized that in every revolution, art was essentially the fuel for the revolution. Right. People sing uh, protest songs. People read things that clarify certain points that motivate them. And, you know, there's a reason that dictators uh, censor art so heavily. Or make propaganda art. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, they use like Hitler's films or, you know, right. any of the propaganda in North Korea that we've seen, any of Mao's, you know, yeah. propaganda films or anything like that, any of our own propaganda films. Mm. Uh, clearly, yeah, so clearly they're aware of the power of it. Right. So that reminded me of the power of it, right? Right. And so I think, you know, um, if you are somebody who's creative, uh, for me, art at its highest, it can take something that is intangible. And it can make it something that you can wrestle with. Right. You know, usually, if you ask anybody what their favorite song is, it's uh, it's something that put into words a feeling or an experience that they could not describe. Absolutely. You know, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, your favorite song is about the crush you felt as a teenager or how you felt excluded from everybody. You know, whatever it was, it's some art that made clear this thing that you were feeling and once you heard that song suddenly that that clarification made it much more possible for you to deal with it i think that's true when it comes to issues like this so when we're talking about um racism which is invisible right right but when it's not something you can put your arms around you know right but when art catches it and and describes it and makes it uh manifest then suddenly we know what we're standing out there for. We know what we're fighting for. Like, before the word uh, microaggression, I experienced it. Right. I didn't know. I didn't have a term for it. You didn't have a word for it. It's just like, that guy just, I don't know. He yeah. he said something that was kind of dickish. I mean, right. it wasn't overtly racist or what, it wasn't overtly hostile, but something about what that guy said or something about that in question, like that question, it hinted at something deeper rooted. Right. Semi-dickish, yeah. Semi-dickish. <laughs> right. That's what we used so, to call microaggressions. Semi-dickish right. behavior. <laughs> and I think microaggression is a much better term. It's much more polite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so, so uh, you, you know, I was, I was thinking what you just mentioned. I, I had this thought today that is, that is very relevant to that. It's like, I can say what I believe to be true or i can say my thoughts of the world i can i can use language to to tell people what my thoughts are on something but that is such a paltry representation it's just a bunch of of noises and and clicks basically to try and explain the rich inner workings of our internal reality uh-huh. and art and music and you know even long form podcasts and uh you know the um almost theatrical type of storytelling podcasts that are out there like right these tell a story in a much more compelling way than just you sitting here telling me this has been my experience with racism this has been my experience with with being a black man in america like you can tell me that stuff all day but where I'm really, it's going to register the most, and the things that have registered with me in the most the most have been music, uh, have been films, have been stories, you know, storytelling of some sort. It, it, it's, 
you can bypass the critical faculty in somebody's mind much more readily with art it seems is that something that you've found to be true yeah yeah uh i hear that nlp talk coming in again but yes <laughs> i'm not doing it on purpose i promise <laughs> uh but yeah no i think um well so what art is really great at doing is taking the pressure off taking something out of the context of like if i'm saying you 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 right like immediately anybody's going to feel defensive right uh, even if the person is saying something that's true but if you take it out of the context and you say uh you know it's a big thing to rod serling a twilight zone i think we talked about that when i was on your show last time right but he was like if i have two martians talking about something uh then i can talk all about politics but as soon as i say a democrat and republican then i get sensitive. people turn off that's, right yeah and uh, that's a paraphrase of rod serling but you know essentially i think art takes the pressure off of you feeling indicted and allows you to engage with these topics with uh, a lot more compassion and openness. Well, it's like, um, did you ever used to watch Jim Henson's Dinosaurs? No. Oh, wait, that's the Not the Mama, Not the Mama? Yeah, the Not the Mama, show? Not the Mama thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sorry for that. So not I, the Mama. <laughs> so I rewatched Dinosaurs as an adult several years okay. ago. Okay. And there were... There were little lessons hmm. uh, about really serious uh, cultural and political ideas laid into a lot of, you know, in the, the undertones of a lot of those stories. I remember there was one where Robbie, the teenage boy, decides he wants to be a vegetarian. Okay. And they used it as a metaphor for, I mean, I really took it as a metaphor for accepting... Uh, gay people in our lives you know right. I, I really did because he experiences all this hostility from people in their community they even use um pejoratives like they call him like a veg head and uh like what else did they call they they, they called him a bunch of things that sounded that that sounded eerily uh uh discriminatory and and pejorative in nature and like i wouldn't have picked up those themes as a as a kid but i definitely picked up on them as an adult huh. you know and that's something that bypasses the critical faculty of your mind and goes into your unconscious and kind of informs your your model of world in the time that you're living in does that make sense right. yeah yeah absolutely yeah and uh, and i think that's why it's vital that artists speak up on these topics through whatever our art is right now Right. Um, I've been teaching this this uh, seminar. I taught it uh, last week for Lighthouse Writers Workshop. In fact, uh, it's called Art in Evil Times, and it's how to overcome creative fear. And uh, the reason that I'm teaching it is because there are so many artists who have so many so many things that they want to say, so many things that are that they're passionate about, but they're terrified of not being perfect or doing it wrong or it not being as good as they imagine it being, right. you know, all of these things. But I feel like if there is any time that the world needs to hear your voice as an artist, that time is right now. 
tell tell me a little bit about that because that that is immediately piquing my interest this idea because i you know i have all sorts of things that i would love to write music about i would love to comment on but i get in my own way with things like being like oh i don't know how to present it in in a poetic way that people will be really inspired by or oh i don't know how to go about it without being too on the nose and heavy-handed or i don't i don't have yeah. the 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 conduit to present this information the way that that people will really be inspired by so give me a little taste of some of the stuff from this this yeah. the course that you did kind of the thesis that you're teaching well you know there are i identified seven things that we do to to sabotage ourselves i mean so some of the things are like practical like we don't we don't set a time to work on things we just feel like inspiration will hit us that kind of stuff right, right. gotta do the work right right and like in, the idea is inspiration but finishing it is work and people forget that part right you know totally uh, but the the other thing is i think the reason usually that we decide to create art is because we were inspired by somebody else's art. So usually when we're going to do our first thing, we are trying to make our first thing be as good as our favorite artist was at their apex. Right. Which is not fair. It's not fair to you because they didn't do that. Your favorite artist didn't do that. And let's say they put out like like one song or one book or whatever it is. That's still not the first one that they made. Right. Like, they had to do something to make the record label or the publisher decide to carry what it is that they're doing, you know? Right. But we want to write one thing, make one song, and make it as good as our favorite artists at their height. And the other thing is, even with our favorite artists, we can usually identify something that they did that we don't like as much. Right. But we don't compare ourselves to that. <laughs> we just pick the one thing. <laughs> right. That inspired yeah, us in the first place. Right. And set ourselves up for failure. So that's one thing. The other thing is that a lot of times we start with this thing where, uh, you know, we have this big idea. Like, uh, I'm going to do a story that spans uh, millennia and inv- has angels and demons in it and talks about the human condition, but also talks about global changes. You know, and it's this really big thing. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying don't do that thing, but I am saying don't start with that thing. Right. Because you're picking the hardest thing that will overwhelm you. So, like, in, in, some, in a time like this, right, like, there's a lot to talk about, right? There's, there's the Black Lives Matter stuff. There's police brutality as a whole. There is global injustice. There is environmental issues. There is government corruption. Uh, and I'm not even knock it out the top 10 right right so there's so many things to talk about so i think you know if you pick just one and just say something on the one then the next thing you work on you could touch on the other one but if you're trying to do it all at once it, it really you can you can kind of fold in on yourself right 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 you can you can get kind of paralyzed by by the vastness and the the abstractness of this you know, big, great thing that you're trying to create when all you have to do is is piece together a body of work, a, right. a snippet at a time, a fragment at a time. That's almost exactly what I say in the class. The, the other major one I throw out at you is that, um, you know, we get fixated on what something is like in our mind and we get terrified that what we make is not going to be as good as what we imagine. Uh, 
there's a friend of mine who's a writer and an attorney, uh, Pat Fitzgerald, who says that uh, art is like having kids. He's basically like, you know, you you're, you sit with your partner and you talk about how your kids, you imagine how your kids are going to be a manifestation of your love and uh, the, the perfect manifestation of everything beautiful in your lives. Right. And then they're born and they just uh, shit on everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> and man, do they. Well, and, yes. they, and they have, they're their own person. Right. You know, and your art is its, your art is its own entity. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I think like it being its own and and being flawed doesn't make you love your children less, right? Like they are still you still love them. It's not a reason to not have children, right? And conversely, with art, it's not a reason to not make art because it's not going to be exactly what you imagine. But I would take it even further. I would say, let's say that you are able to execute twenty percent of the beauty that you have in your mind. So you have this picture in your mind and you can only hit 20% of it. That's still 20% of beauty that wasn't in the world before. And we need as much as we can get. So stop robbing the world of this, of the, of the beauty that it needs because that, that, that dearth of, of passion and sincerity, I think only allows evil people to fill that space. Well, and art changes minds. You know, yeah. I was, when I was young and I started getting into, started getting into punk rock and I started getting into, you know, alternative music and, and started getting into counterculture and things like that and um, started learning about stuff that I probably shouldn't have been listening to or shouldn't have been watching, right. you know, that was the stuff I was most open to receiving and I saw Terry Gilliam's Brazil and it changed the way that I thought about the world. Just right. like that satire, you know what I mean? From the mind of Terry Gilliam, that yeah. satire changed the way that I thought about work and participating in society and maintaining the status quo and 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 things like that. And it's changed the trajectory of my life in a way that a talking to from my father probably would not have right right yeah so yeah there's so much power right so like if as an artist you have something to say and you are being afraid to say it uh just think about if it changes one person's mind if it brings one person closer to closer to compassion and action in these issues then it's worth it or even helps you with your understanding of your... Even if writing it and you never show it to oh, anyone, yeah. it just That's changes your understanding. Yeah, I agree with that. I really do. You yeah. know, I've there's things... There's pieces of art that I have created that I cringe to listen to because I don't like certain things about the performance, but the process of creating them, the process of writing it changed the way that I thought about a certain subject or it was something I was able to visit later and look back on and go wow look how far my thinking has come look how far my perspective has come look at look at what my perspective was at that time that I wrote that song or had that idea right yeah. right yeah so with that are you making a lot of art right now like if like before before any of the protests 
before this this thing really reached a boiling point, were you doing a lot of creating during the quarantine? Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's uh, the the major occupation of my life, and you know, so uh, I uh, you know I do that weekly comic for the Colorado Sun, right? Uh, just today on Facebook, I posted seven comics that we and uh, Corey Corey Radford is the artist for it. Uh, and I posted seven comics that we did that dealt with police brutality. So that I love uh, Corey. I love Corey's stuff, that. by the way. I love Corey's yeah. stuff, man. She's immensely talented, and uh, even on that comic, that comic doesn't show all she can do. Um, so that so that happens every week. Um, there'll be a new one this Friday. It's free on the ColoradoSun.com. Then uh, there is an artist in LA that I'm talking about working on a graphic novel with. Uh, he had a, he pitched me an idea, and I'm gonna write it, and then uh, then he's gonna draw it. So that'll be good. Uh, there's an artist, uh, Jolion Yates, who I've done work with in the past. He is immensely talented. He used to draw uh, Gumby oh, and right on and Tales from the Crypt. That's how versatile he what? is. What? <laughs> yeah, he used to draw Tales from the Crypt, like the original comics. Yeah, uh, you know, not like from the 50s. They they brought it back in the, in the early 90s, aughts, yeah. I think. Yeah, and so, uh, and he lives, he lives right in Baker, you know, so oh, he's no in Denver. Way. So he and That's I are going to do something. And he drew one issue with the Bernie, uh, like an issue and a half with the Bernie Metronome. And he's a really talented guy and deserves all the accolades. Like, So he and I are working on something. Uh, I just sent him a pitch on something last night. And so... Uh, and he's about it. Like he's gonna get it done. He's not like a lot of other artists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where uh, it takes a while. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's like we're gonna produce once hate. every month, and then it's like you know six months later you're going. Right. So yeah, do, you, do they, you have a page for me? And then they're like, "Why are you? Why are you pressuring me?" <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, so on that note, uh-huh. um, how's anguish garden going because you guys right before the pandemic went down you had your kickstarter yeah. which i was honored to contribute to i appreciate it yeah i got you um they I'll, dude honestly i'll contribute to anything you do i like your stuff i like what you're about i like the way you think Thanks, um man. yeah i mean i uh and and once all this is over and things get back to normal, I would love to take you up on that slice of pizza after a podcast episode or something. Actually, have but, you in uh, the building? It'd be great. Um, <laughs> but I've been wondering because I expected to see posts from you on social media talking about heartbreak from being delayed from your project that you started because oh. you guys had just funded that thing and then. And then everything got shut down, and and yeah, yeah. yeah, and so has that been? Has it been a positive thing for you? Has it opened up more options for you? Has it shut things down? Has it slowed things down? Tell me what. Tell me what's going on with Anguish Garden right now. Uh, well, it's go- it's going out a good clip. You know, I I have been sort of remiss in updating Kickstarter backers, honestly, uh, and part of it is I think. For as much difficulty as I have getting an artist to finish things in in normal life, when the pandemic hit, there was a lot of like, uh, you know, uh, depression and and fear. And 
and and and warranted warranted depression and fear but uh it did it did set things back and so it's kind of hard for me to be like well i'm paying them you guys paid me but nothing's coming <laughs> you know but now right but now we're back on track and uh everybody's everybody's like firing on all cylinders uh we have the the book is going to be about 75 pages and i think 30 34 or so are drawn and uh sarah is the last step with the coloring and she knocks she'll knock them out so uh, our goal was to be done by august um and so i think we're still going to be pretty close to that like late august early september that's great uh but an update is due, and I'm going to. That it's on my calendar to send something out to Kickstarter backers. It's just you know you see you see people you see people stuff show up in in your social media feeds, and and there's certain people that you're just curious about. And I I remember you know once everything hit, seeing your stuff come up, and being legitimately curious about you know what was going to happen with your podcast, what was going to happen with that whole process. I'm glad to hear that um, that you guys are are back at it. Uh, I, I totally get that. How, you know, I mean, when people are concerned about how they're going to take care of their most base needs. Yeah. You know, uh, in that in that Maslow's hierarchy pyramid, like right, right. they are they don't necessarily have the bandwidth to do these higher things like make art, which is interesting because the Renaissance totally came out of the the dark ages you know right or the, or the middle ages anyway yeah and it's also hard to be like uh hey you know i know you're concerned about this uh the end of the world virus <laughs> but draw my comic book <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> right so, no i yeah. totally get that and and that's it, what we've what i've had to do is is adapt the belief in horticultural time yeah you know, it's like you you show up, you do the work every day, you plant the seeds, you water, you 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 do something every day to move the needle, but there's going to be setbacks no matter what. You know, right. and that and that's and that's so relevant to you know, we're witnessing the largest civil rights movement in the world. I saw I saw someone post that that it's like this is the largest civil rights movement in history. It's only a yeah. few weeks old. Right. And it's like I really hope to see the momentum going once something new comes in to occupy the global consciousness. Right. You know, no one's talking about COVID right now. You right. Because right now all the attention is on this movement, the civil rights movement. Yeah. But eventually something will come along to occupy our consciousness. Yeah, definitely. And it'll be interesting to see what happens when, you know, the you know, white folks like me who are kind of late to the late to the uh, to the work. Yeah. You know, have to see that it's like it's like oh, this is something people have been working on for four hundred years, right. in some capacity. You know, there's going to be a lot of showing up and a lot of stops and starts and a lot of, you know, a lot of frustrations and disappointments. And and when these legislators, legislators and policymakers don't necessarily feel the cultural pressure as much, it's not going to it's not going to move as swiftly. Right. Right. 
Yeah, and uh, that that is why I'm emphasizing like this protest. Hell yeah! But also, let's push for these policy changes and remember to right. vote. Right. You know. Well, in worst case scenario, this is this is how I've reconciled with voting because I used to be an avid non-voter, and the way I've mm-hmm. reconciled with it, it is it is essentially the most pageantry filled census <laughs> that there is you know it's like yeah. whether or not your vote actually in in national elections actually sways anything in terms of the electorates it still right. lets people know where the country's thinking is at it still lets people know where social perspective is at yeah. And and voting in those local elections, like you said, is so important because, you know, communities add up to cities and cities add up to states and states add up to countries and countries add up to the planet. Right. You know. Yeah. You know, there's a, a movie that I wrote uh, with a director friend that we were just about to uh, we were pretty close to starting production on. We got a um, financier and we were about to secure actors and the pandemic hit and kind of just knocked it backwards right of course uh but the movie deals with uh different types of protest um is and it a documentary or is it a is it like a historical fiction thing it's fiction is present day um it's uh so basically i wanted to talk about how different types of protests work together but i couched it in a political thriller um so it's uh three people who work together to bring down a local crooked politician and they use the different types of protest in part oh, to cool. move the needle on that yeah right. and it, the reason that i picked a local politician instead of uh bringing down a president per se is because i know i guess i understand the effect of local politics more than i understand the effect of uh federal you know right. and it's not to say that they're not important it's just like you brought up the electoral college you know like I, you know, I can't guarantee that my vote for president truly matters. Right. But I can say with confidence that the local elections, it, you know, it does. They so. can come down to a handful of votes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Especially like, but, uh, but, like uh, city council people. Yeah. Tell tell me right. tell me more about the movie. Tell me more about that. Uh, well, I was going to say I like the I like the strength of your point though is that uh, even. If even if it gets obscured on a federal level, it is showing up and saying what people believe, right? Um, which I think matters, right? Because if there's no reaction to injustice, if we just are at home and like that sucks, then nothing happens. I mean, we could see this with the police brutality thing, right? All of these years, you know, let's just say like the last ten or fifteen years of seeing videos of black people being murdered by police, um, people sat at home and were like, "That's terrible." But now that people are just showing up, suddenly all of these cities are considering defunding their police right. departments. That's crazy. I, That's something right. you never... It, it, it's like when the pandemic first started, I started saying it's amazing that a microscopic organism that we can't see with the naked eye was able to, was able to influence more policy change right. than 
boots on the street and voters and career politicians. I mean, Bernie Sanders, for example, someone who has been fighting for his various causes his entire career, and he's an he's a septuagenarian. You know, he's an right. old ass man. Right. And then you see. You see this virus just change the change the world overnight, and it's like you know we're sitting there, we're watching the videos of people being murdered by police, black people being murdered by police, and it's like it's like oh my god, that's terrible, it's such an awful thing. It's like well, we should do something about it. It's like oh yeah, I'm just gonna go downtown and just stand around and yell at the Capitol and tell them to do something. Yeah, that'll work really well, or you know, and but now we're seeing it, right. we're seeing it happen, right. and this. This moment in history is doing more in a few weeks than so many people have struggled against in literally centuries. Literally right. centuries. Right. Yeah, and I, I want to say that, you know, addressing this issue as it pertains to, to black Americans actually helps us all. You know, like, um, there are a lot of Native American people who are victims of police brutality and murder. Uh, they're and Latinos. They're, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and even, uh, you know, there's a number of white people. Like, we are all being affected by police brutality. The proportions are different, but by right. addressing the problem as it hits uh, black Americans is actually solving a problem for all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I mentioned I mentioned to you last time you were on the show... Uh, that my father is a retired Denver police officer. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I I understand just the anger and the vitriol. So you know, I do my best to not take it personally when people come out with the the A cab and the fuck oh, police yeah. and all. You know, I, I I do my best, or or like when people talk about killing cops. And I have I have another friend who. Um, works in the human trafficking division. Uh, I can't say what city he works in because he works undercover, but I have a friend who works for, like, rescuing people, rescuing children from human trafficking, you know? Right on. So, but I, um, I know that for my dad, it was a very educational experience watching his son be a young punk little hoodlum with a mouth get into trouble with cops and getting to see what his colleagues did to people that they did not perceive to be part of the protected class. Ah, okay. You know what I mean? Like, my dad didn't grow up with a black son, but he did grow up with a son who was an idiot. (laughs) And, uh, you know, dumb, recalcitrant white kids get fucked with by the police sometimes. Uh-huh. And it changed seeing that happen to his kid changed the way I think he thought about policing in general. And you mentioned the people that end up being the exception and not the rule. Kind of yeah. my my viewpoint on that is those people that like the family guys who are just doing a job and have seen have become disillusioned with police work, they end up taking on an administrative role or they end right. up they end up becoming technicians or getting a desk job somewhere. They don't want to be on the street. The ones who want to be on the street are either really, really community-oriented officers, and they are out there. There's not a lot of them, but really, really community-oriented officers, like we've seen with the the cops in Flint, uh, Michigan, or they're bullies who want to go out there and fuck shit up. Right. You know? 
Yeah, uh, one of my best friends uh, who I grew up rapping with, uh, he's an he's an undercover cop uh, in Atlanta, and he's so he's a black cop in the South, and um, you know it's interesting trying to like talking with him about his perspective on things because he'll watch those videos and he he can say like oh no that's that that's terrible that's wrong, right? But I think. Um, yeah, I think it's so. But he's probably I, I think, also going to feel compelled to defend because he's invested his life into this particular vocation and the mission that he thought it stood for. Yeah, it's true. But also, I feel like the, the like I was saying the the way that American police were developed, it's an institutional problem, right? So the people who can keep their compassion and um, and do their jobs in a way that is humane are actually going against the program of the institution and that's that's the problem right right so, so like if the institution is addressed then the people who are are good people who are police officers you know they're not going to be taken down there'll be room for them right you know but it's but i think in the, the new world of in the new world of the constabulary <laughs> right, right. You know, yeah. The people who want to do good in the world, it's like, oh, great, you can do good, you know, in this new system that we set up that isn't based on being an overseer to slaves. Yeah. Because yeah. that's the roots in all of it, right? Like, KRS-One wasn't lying. Like, that's yeah. real shit. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, that John that John Oliver show from last night was really, really good. I, I advise anybody to take a minute and watch it because he, he makes... A lot of really good points about it. And, uh, yeah, I think it's worth everybody checking out. Yeah. So, hey, uh, um, I, I know I know we're running close to the end of your time, so I wanted to touch on uh, a couple things that we talked about. I wanted to touch on... Uh, you had shared with me this list that Mutiny Information Cafe... Shout out to one of our sponsors, Mutiny Information Cafe. We didn't go through the sponsor segment of the show because we're trying to make the best of Alan's time, but this is something that Alan sent to me that that came across him uh, through Mutiny Information Cafe as we talked a little bit about, you know, you can shame people out of supporting you. Right. You know, by, by by saying, if you're not here on the front lines with us, then you're part of the problem, you know? Right. And right. that's something that people have a tendency to do when things like this get really heated. But I love that there's been so much about the conversation of, like, even if you can't put boots on the street, we want you in the fight. And here's the ways that you can participate. Like I mentioned last week on the show, you know, I'm a convicted felon. I have a son. I have a wife. I have people who depend on me. I can't run the risk of going down and getting arrested or getting tear gassed or hurt or any of those things because I'm the sole support for these people, but I want to stay involved. So you right. sent me over this list of ways that people can get involved, and I wanted to go over that and kind of unpack some of the stuff that really jumps out to you. So. You know that that inspired you to send this over to me. So, so you said. Uh, so the first thing on it is uh, to donate to a bail fund, right? Um, which uh, which I I did, and uh, and I think that that's a great idea. I did hear that there are counties that are denying bail to protest protesters. Have you heard anything about that? I haven't. It doesn't sound surprising, though. <laughs> you know. Right. 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 Yeah. 
Right. So there's uh, donate to a bail fund. There's donate medical supplies. I've been seeing a lot of stuff about donating medical supplies. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I don't know if you saw that cops in Asheville, North Carolina, uh, were destroying medical centers, like medical setups at protest. So, you know, people set up a tent. Yeah, I Doctors and that. nurses. Yeah, and the cops were destroying, like they're attacking the medical supplies so the protesters can't have access to them. So, uh, you know, I mean, that, that just underscores the need for donating them if you can. Right. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just unbelievable. It's like it's like you're in a war and you're shooting at medics. That's like what the yeah. fucking Nazis did, man. Right, right. Like, I don't even know if the and, Nazis killed medics. Did they? <laughs> I don't know. Jesus Christ. I don't know. But I got to say, it's interesting that, uh, that police in all these big cities keep doubling down. Like instigating violence at protest about police violence right know? it's it seems like denver has dialed it back has that been your observation or no am i am i just missing well out? you know there was a, a judge here who uh said that they couldn't use pepper spray on protesters anymore he put a like a temporary restraining order on that uh that, that story is in colorado sun and i'm sure in the post and stuff like that so so they've actually they didn't dial it back. They've been incapacitated by a force on top of them. You know what I mean? While we're on that topic, there's something that I wanted to ask you about. Because this is something that I've been wrestling with in my mind. You hear the terms virtue signaling and performative gestures thrown around a lot. Yeah. And I've been kind of wrestling with that. And I, what I've been thinking about is, and, and there's a lot of, you know, again, what we, what we were talking about, you know, shaming people out of the movement. Right. Um, you know, there is the idea of egoistic altruism. Yeah. Which is even if someone has sort of a contrived, a seemingly contrived intention on the surface, we should be encouraging to th them to be involved, Right. Like, what are your what are your thoughts on these ideas? Like, what is the difference between like a pernicious performative gesture or virtue signaling and and like a really earnest performative gesture, a yeah. really earnest type of virtue signaling, which is which is in all of us. It's a it's it's something right. that we've adapted through evolution. Well, I, I want to say, first of all, I think that that is a problem on the left as a whole that. Uh, I can agree with you on 12 things, but if you do one thing that I think is wrong, then you're dead to me. Right, you exactly. Know? If you don't check like all just, the boxes, you're out of the club type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And so I think we uh, we lose a lot of people who would actually work with us rather than guiding them to a like a better understanding of something. We just uh, we just pile on an attack. And so, you know, and then they don't want to be in the club anymore. They don't want to be right. on the team anymore. Yeah, that's what I mean. We lose them; they're gone. When uh, and I, I think, I think somebody who's trying to do something positive is already more valuable to me than somebody who's working against me, right? So right. if so, if somebody is uh, trying to do a positive thing and they misstep, then you know I'll try to engage with them about like, hey, that doesn't make sense. That seems a little awry. You know, let's try to figure this part out. Uh, but I guess I, I personally am not so worried about virtue signaling. I'm, I am, um, I guess a little overwhelmed by, uh, people who, white people who in this moment are talking about 
their own feelings like how these things affect them right rather than about right. how it affects the people who are being murdered White know? people like talking about our feelings man <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do we go you know i just really need you to hold space right now to like right. hear me and i mean like really hear me because i'm just like really struggling with this a lot i guess uh if dr <laughs> phil taught me anything <laughs> white, people, white people love emoting oh but. yeah so so yeah. yeah so but then but then you see things like people are criticizing like the mayor of dc for putting black lives matter on the street or changing the name of the street outside the white house or people who criticize the officers that from per their own volition take up with the cause or i saw when uh, everyone was doing the black squares thing yeah uh the blackout the the washington redskins tried to participate and immediately ocasio ortez you know went after him or a bunch oh, okay. of people went after him and were very and i understand the suspicion and wariness from perceived enemies wanting to show their support but yeah, you, and also they're called the Redskins. I mean, I get that one. Yeah, no, I totally get that. <laughs> I yeah. totally get that. But yeah, no, yeah, that's I like think, that's yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I, but I do think that tendency to attack people who don't do things perfectly is is a flaw of liberal people, right. um, and I and I think it's something that the left leaning people need to correct as a whole. Well, it's a projection it, of our own insecurities. Yeah, You know, it's like you see somebody who might be a little tone deaf or a little ignorant or might not get it or might not uh, do it right. And your fears of your own inadequacy or your fears of your own ignorance or your fears of your own past transgressions might fuel your need to attack that individual. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I say this knowing that uh, that I am not perfect on everybody's issue. Right. So, like, I can say LGBTQ. I forget to add IA. That's something I've incorporated into my understanding in the last year. I think, um, you know, uh, I may not speak on some women's issues perfectly, uh, trans issues specifically. Like, there's just the things where I may not speak on it. Uh, I, I might make a mistake. Right. And so uh, because I know that about myself, I try to be mindful of people who are sincerely approaching something and trying to be present and trying to be helpful. Right. They are not my enemy. Like they are people who are trying. And and if they are open to listening and learning about it, then let's do it. Let's figure it out together. And, you know? and, and I know I know exactly what you're talking about. And what I have deduced with regard to, you know, maybe not always getting it right with with women's issues or trans issues or LBGTQIA plus issues or or, you know, it, any other type of issue in the the ongoing cultural organism that we live in uh, right. is outside of Facebook and Twitter. When you're just having a conversation with someone, they are really for the most part, pretty understanding and patient, yeah. you know, and especially, you know, because I've, I've had that experience of the fear of the the white cis 
male of being like, oh man, everything's everyone's gonna take everything I say the wrong way and blah blah blah. Right. You know, that right. worry. But the, the the truth is, is most people appreciate the effort. Most people appreciate you trying. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think that's important for people to remember too. I wanted to get through the rest of this list. Um, let's see. Uh, volunteer to supply food and water at non-hot zone areas. I know. Yeah. Um, wasn't Mutiny doing a thing where they were they were making their spot a safe place for people who had decided to get engaged in protests? Like, there's been a few places that have have set up kind of meetup stations and places you can go get food and water and and recover. Yeah, I can't confirm that specifically, but that sounds very much like mutiny. Yeah, that sounds like you mutiny, know for sure. Uh, continue to educate the people around you. This also this is also emotional labor. Um, yeah, uh, and I think it's important to make the discernment between educating and wagging your finger at someone. Right. You know, taking the time to be like, "Hey, I, see, I saw what you said." I'm not here to call you out or put you on blast or dox you or or any of that shit, but I believe you are mistaken, and here is why. Right, right. You know, here's the case. Um, pick up people from the hot zone if they need it. Uh, that's a great one. Yeah. Uh, offer to watch little kids if their parents were organizers and need to be on the front line. That's great. Yeah. The idea of babysitting babysitters, man, for yeah. protest. Yeah, you are participating in the protest by babysitting. I mean, it's real. It's a, it's something that people need. Yeah, it needs to happen. Um, write articles and blog posts. One of the, you know, one of the ways that the two major ways that I've been trying to help or to do something is number one to educate the shit out of myself. I like, I like learning new stuff anyway. So I've just been directing my attention towards, uh, towards learning as much as I can. Yeah. Um, you know, through reading articles or blogs or listening to podcasts, the sixteen nineteen podcast by the I believe it's the Washington Post or the New York Times. Oh yeah, it's I a, think it's the Post. It's the Post. It's, it's a fantastic think, series. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm not sure. Post the New York Times, but one of them. It's one of them. That's <laughs> you know, it's a really good one. Uh, yeah. Vulture put out a list of documentaries that are really great. You know, my wife and I have been have been kind of binging on documentaries. It already plays into the the binge culture you know right like right. white people love watching netflix so <laughs> sit down <laughs> and watch some documentaries uh what else uh, uh voting petition yeah uh organize on your jobs and in your community for fair and equitable practices fortunately i work for a company where that's a non-issue i'm uh, shout out to fire on the mountain buffalo wings you know a a, a flagship cost uh, an avatar company for sure um right. Vote and petition against police brutality and for police reform. I've been seeing a ton of that. Like I had never even heard of the idea of defunding police as being a as an option. It's new to me. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. So, yeah. Uh, hey, we are hitting my time. Okay. I want to say if you want to share these uh, in the notes of the episode, also uh, the the movie that we're doing. I'm doing a uh, me and my collaborator doing like a, a weekly web series and we posted about making the movie and we posted the first episode today so that is right on my facebook page it's uh one of two things that i posted today uh but it's just called making our movie 
So uh, I, I saw Jake Fairley post that. I'm going to add it into, and I, I was going to ask you about that, but we ran out of time. But um, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to add that into the comments of the episode, and uh, and we'll share that. Um, I appreciate it. I really appreciate your time, Alan. And uh, you know, at the moment that I hit you up, I, you know, it was a little scary to hit you up because I didn't want to come, you know, I didn't want to come across as just hitting you up as a black dude. But I really, right. I really felt like you. You had some stuff that people needed to hear just as an artist and as someone who I know has has made their entire artistic career around some of the issues that we're talking about right now. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Again, I want to take you up on that slice of pizza one of these days. And uh, when, uh, when Gordo feels comfortable coming back and having episodes in the studio again with live <laughs> people, I'd love to have you back on the show for another long-form episode, man. Right on. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'd right love to talk to you again soon. Thanks, everybody, for watching episode. It says 108 up here, but I don't know if that's true. It is an episode. I don't know which one it is. But thank you for listening to episode 100 and whatever of the motherfucking podcast. My guest today was R. Allen Brooks. Uh, make sure to look up his stuff, man. The Burning Metronome uh, is probably his most well-known work. Uh, Anguish Garden has been funded on Kickstarter. Make sure you keep up on that, and uh, we'll be posting updates as, as we get them. Uh, he has his regular comic strip in the Colorado Sun, What I Miss, which is which is really great. Uh, and uh, if you happen to be at Regis University, you might consider taking his his writing comics course. Um, thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Sorry for the technical difficulties and the late start, but um, man, for all of you out there doing whatever you are doing to help move the needle on the Black Lives Matter cause and the largest civil rights movement in this in this planet's history, it seems, and uh, certainly an amazing, fascinating, interesting, engaging, terrifying, and eye-opening uh, period in history. Um, yeah, thanks so much for being involved and 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 being a part of that. I'm I'm like feeling more and more, despite all the scary things that we see out there. I'm feeling more and more proud to be a human being. Um, it's really been beautiful to watch and uh, Lord knows we would not exist if it were not for all the amazing black musicians who created rock and roll and blues and soul and all the all the coolest music there is really for that was what polka and classical <laughs> no I mean seriously man I, I, I put up a post recently where I was like if you had the opportunity to thwart a mugger from beating up Jimi Hendrix and taking his wallet, man, you would jump in and do that shit. You would defend Jimi Hendrix, and then he'd invite you to a party, and it'd be super cool, and be like, hey, man, that was great. Come hang out with me and the band of gypsies. And then he'd, like, leave the room to go hook up with some chick, and then you'd be in the room with with the other two guys in the band, and you wouldn't really have much to talk about, except for then... Buddy Miles, man, he had a great career, didn't he? Them changes. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun um, doing this episode. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Uh, our guest next week is uh, a friend of ours who isn't really in the public eye at all, but um, he comes to a lot of our shows. His name is his name is 
Eric Stranger, and uh, he's a very, very, very cool, interesting guy with tons of great stories um, from his time living in South Africa during apartheid. He did some time uh, actually in the solitary confinement in a prison in South Africa. He actually was in prison for a year during his time um, participating in the activism down there. Uh, met Steve Biko one time. One time. Didn't know the guy personally, but that's just the type of people he was around. And um, and he's got some really interesting stories about this time. And, and as uh, the perspective compares to the parallels between then and now. Uh, thank you so much for listening to and watching the podcast. Um, make sure to like, share, subscribe. And if you're really feeling us, uh, really feeling it, back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash mfruckus. Uh, we appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much to our patrons for supporting everything we do. Thank you so much to Gordo. I wish we could have had you on the show. Thanks so much to Ethan Klein, our tech guru. And, of course, thanks to our Alan Brooks for coming on the show. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye-bye. The motherfucking podcast is recorded at the Nug Nation Studios in Denver, Colorado, and hosted by Aaron Howell, Tony Lee, Logan O'Connor, and occasionally even Ty Blosser of the international power rock combo Motherfucking Ruckus. Our producer in the studio is Gordon Ledfoot. Our producers in Chicago are Gene Skibbins and Adam Zelinsky. All music except homie shoutouts and featured artists is written and performed by MF Ruckus and comes from the album The Front Lines of Good Times Volume 1, coming this fall on Rodeo Star Records. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, if you find this podcast valuable or entertaining and you wish to support MF Ruckus further, you can rate, review, share, subscribe, follow us on any of our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Spotify. If you really want to help us do what we do, you can go to patreon.com slash mfruckus and become a patron at any level. Our patrons get access to exclusive content, early releases, guest list spots, even VIP parties with beer and food, all in exchange for a small monthly contribution. It really does make a difference and allows us to do this podcast, make records, create videos, go on tour, fly Tony back and forth, and all the other stuff we love to do for you guys. Patreon.com slash MFRuckus. Check it out. Thanks again, guys. You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at MutinyInfoCafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. 